When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now, Sid, we have fun here. I know you're not a cursing man. You're very religious. I respect that. But I, I have a potty mouth. So every now and then I might say something <laughs> crazy. So just bear with me, okay? Showtime Podcast with Michael Cooper is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome to another edition of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with my Laker teammates and NBA legends. And in the house today, we got a true legend, man. I'm loving this guy. Sidney Moncrief. I'm a, I'm a, I love talking about people's highlights because mine were very, very short. So Sid was a five-time NBA All-Star from 82 to 86. All-NBA first team, 83, four-time All-NBA second team, 82, 84 through 86, two-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year, 1983 and 84, which he stole from me, but I'm a, I'm a forgiving person, so I'll let you have that one, Sid, because I was 87. Four-time NBA All-Defensive first team, 83 to 86, and NBA All-Defensive second team, 1982. Welcome. To Showtime with Coop, Sidney Moncrief. How are you, sir? Hey, Coop, how are you doing, man? I appreciate you. Definitely respect you. We had some battles, didn't we? Oof. That's why both of us are bald now, Sidney, because we just wore each other out so much. We had some battles. And you're right. You, I probably did steal that Defensive Player of the Year award from a lot of people. I just don't think they knew who to vote for and what, what criteria to use. They said, well, we'll give it to him. <laughs> You know. <laughs> I call bullshit on that one because you are definitely a good ass player, man. One of the best defensive players. You know, I, I see three people at, talking about the defensive awards. I like to say myself was a pretty good defensive player. Yourself as well, and Dennis Johnson. Uh, people in that six four, six five, six six range, and there's some other ones. But again, during those eighty, I think us three, we three were probably uh, had some great battles against some great individual players. Yeah, and I use your name when they ask me some of the best defensive players in the in when I played, and I use your name. I use Dennis Johnson's name. I use, of course, Dennis Rodman is taller, but he's still kind of in that category uh, as far as being able. But I thought you were on the ball a better defender than I was, no doubt. I think you're a little taller, you're a little longer you had better hands than I had. Uh, I had just good anticipation and could probably defend, couldn't defend the center, but I could defend the post pretty well and perimeter okay. But defense is just something that we both just love to do. And make no mistake about it, though, Coop, we prefer to shoot and score. 
<laughs> I, I can shoot on my team. So that's why I said you had to save some energy because you were a great offensive scorer. Uh, see the heck of a career you've had. Uh, I'm just go back just a little bit. What was it like growing up for you as a young person? Did you have aspirations of playing professional or was it was basketball just something to do to keep you out of trouble? I, I liked football when I was growing up. I, I love football. And what happened was I used to watch the Boston Celtics. Remember Cooper? Yeah. You only got a couple of teams on TV back then. You got Boston, you got the Lakers. I remember seeing the Washington, the Baltimore Bullets play a little bit on TV and the Knicks. And that was pretty much it. You didn't see a lot of other teams play. And I condolences to Sam Jones. I grew up watching the Celtics and Sam Jones and that team just putting numbers on people, Bill Russell. And I was just a huge Boston Celtic fan. But I love football. I was an aggressive kid and loved the contact and the intensity of football. But something happened by the time I got to junior high school. I could no longer be the tough kid because I got tall and skinny. <laughs> and the thought of tackling people, well, you said jack them up and throw them on the ground. Uh, that didn't work as well. So I just started hooping and gave up football. But football was my first love. It said, uh, growing up as young people, and for me, it was my high school coach, uh, my uncle. Uh, who were some of your role models as a young person to kind of keep you on that focus path? And coach Charles Ripley was a very good role model for me. He took us to different places. He gave us exposure. I always say, if you want young people to be successful, even outside of athletics, you have to give them experiences and exposure and some mentorship. And he did that for us. We went, he took me to my first uh, NBA game. He took me to my first pro football game, first college football game, my first college basketball game, my first NCAA basketball game, my first conference. So he did so much for me that exposed me and got me outside of just Little Rock, Arkansas. I was grateful for him. Coach Oliver Elders, our high school coaches are always such a big mentor for me because he showed me that you had to be a class, you had to be a gentleman. You couldn't wear hats, you couldn't talk to people a certain way, you had to say, yes, sir, because I've got that at home. I could never not say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, or no, sir, no, ma'am. That was just unheard of to, to do that. But Coach Elders kept me grounded as a high school player, and I was... Certainly, I'm indebted to him for his leadership and his guidance. So you make the transition from football to basketball, and now you find yourself at the University of Arkansas. I mean, what was that like? We were balling out. You know, back then, college coaches, they didn't have any restrictions. They could practice you like dogs and, and whatever they wanted to for hours on hours. And we got drilled. Coach Eddie Southern was a coach. And we, we got drilled three, four hours just playing defense, wow. taking charges and diving on the floor for basketball. And it, is, it instilled a certain toughness about me as a basketball player. Having four years of that disciplined basketball, aggressive type play, especially on a defensive end, it prepared me very well for the NBA. You know, you had Marvin Delph, I believe, Ron Brewer on that team, and yourself, and you guys took that program to new heights and said, I'm a, you know, I, I'm not big on uh, uh, pictures of individuals, but probably my two most iconic pictures that I always enjoy seeing, and I got it here somewhere in my man cave, but I can't find it right now, is George Gervin, Iceman sitting on the block of chair on ice like that. And <laughs> yes, sitting, your picture on the front of Sports Illustrator with that two-hand dunk you was going like that, I have labeled that show them the funk 
because it had your underarms, it had all that, man. But that was a, a, an amazing. Did you see my deodorant? You see my deodorant? You don't have man. <laughs> but a great, great picture, man. You, your thoughts on that, man? Yeah. Well, that, 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 I, I don't have a picture that, I don't have a photograph. I can't locate it. Wow. I find it a lot. And I'm sure if I dug deep enough, I would find it. But I have signed so many. And it, what, what really, it brings back memories of the fact that the program started a certain way. And I'll never forget, we played UCLA at the pit. UCLA in the pit. That, I know what I'm talking about, boy. And, and that altitude, it's just enough altitude there, isn't it, Coop? That was, yeah. Just it's, so you can go. It's just enough to throw you off. Yeah. In UCLA, they were this powerhouse team was not like the old UCLA teams, but still a good team. Kiki Vandeweghe was on that team. David Greenwood, Roy Hamilton, they had a, a good ball club. And we were just these country boys from Arkansas, and we played in the pit. We had fans there. We were, and we be, we were just we beat them. We were on them like 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 a uh, white on rice. Say the other words, Ed. Say the other words. <laughs> like on stick, stick, right? <laughs> That's not. <laughs> I would say we were on those like shit on state from the opening <laughs> tip. And we ended up winning that game and went to the final four that year. So Arkansas, that was some great years. I don't think you ever recreate college. Even though I enjoyed playing in the NBA, you can always, at least I can always say, the most memorable games are still in college. It's not really in the NBA because you play so many games in the NBA. But college, is, you have a little small window in college basketball. Hey, you listening to Showtime with Coop. We have Sydney Moncrief in the house. Sydney, we're at this point of the stage. I have something I call Coop's Lightning Round. I'm going to give you five names, and you tell me as much or as little about the names, okay? Okay. First one, Terry Cummings. Aggressive player, Hall of Fame, skill set. Had he been healthy and played consistently for maybe one team for 10 to 12 years, Hall of Famer, no doubt. Tough kid, tough player. Love playing with him. You mentioned already Coach Eddie Sutton, the late Eddie Sutton. Yeah, Coach Sutton, uh, very disciplined. He loved his players. He had high expectations for us. And he, if you played for Coach Sutton, you were ready, if you had the skill, to play in the NBA. He prepared players to play that next level. Now, I played for Pat Riley my whole year, a couple of other coaches, but Pat Riley was my main coach. I would love to have played for Don Nelson. Oh, Don was, he was fun. He was very innovative. Uh, he wasn't as, as flighty as people think. He, he was a student of the game. He understood the game of basketball. And he understood matchups. And he he worked Coop. He worked us as hard as Pat Riley worked you all yeah, I bet he early did. in my career. Uh-huh. We worked extremely hard. And remember back then, you, you could have two practices. And they could be full practices. You had no limits. And then you could have a meeting in between. So we would practice really hard, have this meeting about the plays and all this different. You know, I'm like, you're sitting, you're sitting there like, I'm tired. <laughs> Talking about plays. Just throw me the basketball. Let's just hoop. And then you go out that evening and, and then do it again. Practice again. <laughs> so I'm going to say, quit bringing up the bad memories. The Pat Riley used to do that. Practice meeting, practice film afterwards. So uh, we didn't have the film afterwards. So you all were uh, no, we didn't have that afterwards. <laughs> uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, 
assassin. I coached in the NBA and watched Kobe, Kobe close up and just to watch. And the thing people miss about Michael Jordan and Kobe, they were fundamentally sound players. Who they you watch their footwork, you watch their shot mechanics, you watch their passing mechanics, everything about them. Kobe was very precise and was very fundamental, even though he had he did have flash in this game, but it was grounded in basketball fundamentals. And last but not least, LeBron James. When I first saw LeBron play coaching, it was the most amazing player I had seen simply because of his size and bulk and his sheer speed. He was younger then. And to see him go from, from coast to coast with the basketball and make plays, uh, it was something to behold. And the thing I love about LeBron James that people overlook, he is extremely intelligent ball player. But we had intelligent players that didn't share the knowledge with their teammates. He shares knowledge. When you, when you call a player a set, he knew what play you were in. If that teammate was not in the right position, he'd say, hey, I need you over here. They're about to run this play. He was, very, he was probably the best I've ever seen in the history of the game of basketball that I've seen. Wow. That not only understood the game, but also shared that knowledge with his players on the basketball court. You know, I say that's a great insight because I think people have a tendency to forget about those little aspects, uh, nuances about his game is letting his teammates know. And, you know, you played for some great ones. That was one of Magic Johnson's biggest strengths is about in inclusive for the whole team. Everybody being on the same page because it takes teams together. Everyone achieves more to win basketball games. And LeBron definitely, definitely has that. OK, uh, Sid, what's, who's some of your favorite teammates? And give us a little bit of uh, insight on some of them. Well, Junior Bridgman we, and Harvey Ketchum, we came in, well, they kind of mentored me when I was in the Milwaukee Bucks, and we did everything together on the road, good and bad. Just kidding. <laughs> All good. We did you know, cool things like Bible study and church and those types of things. <laughs> but they, they, they really kept me from maybe straying more than I would have because they were just all about business, being professionals, playing Bucker. They were pros. They were just professionals. I love playing with Bob Lanier because Bob was, uh, Bob was a very cerebral player, had a high, had a very high skill level. People didn't realize how skilled he was as a basketball player. And you always felt, Coop, you know how it is when someone can get you open? Someone, he could get you open. Bob, yeah. Whoever was guarding you, they would no longer be on you when Bob said a pick. <laughs> you know, he just, <laughs> Man, you know, I caught some of them hips. I huh? caught some of them hips trying to get around him guarding you. <laughs> hips, elbows, whatever it took uh, to, to, to do that. Marcus Johnson was such a skilled player. I enjoyed playing with Marcus because Marcus was, was uh, he wasn't a complimentary player, but he could compliment you. He, he wasn't trying to, trying to outshine you because he was good enough to shine out on his own. And he also just fundamentally, again, fundamentally, wooden type player. His fundamentals were so good. He was a winner. I just like, most of my teammates were winners. I really liked that. Paul Cressy was one of my great teammates because he could pass the basketball. He was very smart. Uh, he played defense and he didn't care who, he didn't care who got the credit. He just wanted to win ball games. I, I've got some tremendous teammates, man. I, I, you have. His, what about I've been Alan Robinson? this conversation for a long time. Dave Myers, the late Dave Myers. Yeah, Dave was good. 
Dave was one of my favorite teammates because he did all the dirty work. I watched him every before every practice and after every practice, religiously do his exercises for his back so he could be healthy to play the next ball game. The Showtime Podcast with Michael Cooper is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Hey, Sid, who was the uh, hardest player for you to guard? For me, it was Larry Bird, Andrew Tony. People forget okay. about that kid, Andrew Tony. Who who was your the person for you? <laughs> you said two. <laughs> okay, you add a third two. one in there. Huh? <laughs> add a third one in there. Andrew Tony was like people don't realize how difficult it is to try to guard someone that offensively had offensively had no weaknesses. Yeah. Well, I said, no, I, he could catch the ball and shoot a three. He could take a two dribbles off right, two dribbles left. He could post you up. He could drive to the basket left, right. He had a good first step. He had a good pull up. What else is it? He was very difficult. Of course, Michael Jordan <laughs> was impossible to guard uh, because Michael could play without the basketball. And he would just, he could be on the weak side. And if, if you're not in tune to him, he could make that fast cut left, right to the basket or to the top, catch the basketball in his sweet spot and just do anything he wanted to do. Uh, I think he doesn't get enough credit for moving without the basketball. And when we talk about pace and timing and, and rhythm of offense, when do you cut fast? When do you, when do you hold back? When you detect when that, when that defender is asleep, he was probably the best I've seen at mm-hmm. At doing that. How would you guard Steph Curry today? I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I think Coop, my biggest asset and your biggest asset was we didn't allow guys to catch the ball in the sweet spot. Yep. Yep. And and the only problem with Steph Curry, his sweet spot goes way to half court. <laughs> 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 so he could if he caught the ball anywhere. You're just in trouble. You're at the mercy of that offensive player. And he could play in any era, Steph Curry, because even though people give him credit for long three-point shots, he can shoot the ball anywhere. He can drive the ball left. He can shoot floaters. He can do everything offensively. He can't post. He doesn't have that threat, but everything else offensively he can do. So I would guard him from the baseline to baseline. Baseline, yep. Make sure that he keeps his back turned. You don't want him facing you. You want him just working the ball down the court with his back. And then anytime there's a pick and roll, you can't do anything but jump it. And you know what I said? What I try to tell people about a player like that, you know, you and I and many more, Joe Dumars and name a few, are good one-on-one defensive players, but it took our teammates to really help us because there were times we were beaten. Our teammates got to be there to kind of close that gap so you can catch back up. So that's why I say guarding Steph Curry would be a team responsibility on the switches uh, when he's driving uh, and make him become a passer more than a scorer. Yeah. His handle is too, too precise to guard him one-on-one. And so it would certainly have to be a team thing. And, and people don't, here's what people don't realize. What you work on is what you're good at. Remember when we grew up working on dribbling, you didn't do that a lot unless you were a point guard. I did it in the summer because I wanted to handle the basketball. I played, sometimes I did play point. But if you look at the amount of time guys spend now dribbling all sizes yeah, and also shooting threes, that's why they're very 
very proficient at handling, keeping dribbles alive and all those type things that we were not as good at doing. Mm. Uh, uh, you had a great career, Sid, but I'm going to bring up one instance in your career. In 1987, you guys were playing the dreaded Boston Celtics. Now, one guy I hated, I hated this guy, even when he went to BYU, Danny Ainge. Oh, and uh, you had a... Um, I don't. I don't want. You had a fight with the guy. Shit. You I had, had a fight I had, with. The I, guy. Had, I had a coup. Call it a coup when you fight with someone. <laughs> Tell us about that, Sid. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got fined a thousand dollars back then. That was a lot of money. That was a lot. That was a lot of money. And <laughs> and I just didn't grow up with people just doing whatever they want to you, like elbowing you. I didn't mind someone hitting me with an elbow if it was, if it was an accident. But when someone is doing things intentional, I don't care who it was, Bill Lambeer. Uh, big, uh, big field goal does not get the free throw down. On grief on the outlet, is stopped by Ames, and they're at it. Boy, Sidney Moncrief is really upset. Cooper, whoever it was. <laughs> I played fair. I didn't. I wasn't dirty. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Sid. You have to. You have to. At least I did. I have. I had to stand my ground. And at the right time, you have to make a statement for not only yourself, but for your teammates. And we, we pride ourselves with the Bucks on trying to be not tough, tough, but tough enough of the type players. But I remember I went down court and he elbowed me once. I was like, okay. Then when he elbowed me twice, I was like, all right, okay now. But when he did it the third time was something that I said, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> this ain't going to work. <laughs> so uh, there are pictures in the new arena of the frames from the time I went for his leg to the time I threw him on the ground. <laughs> There's frame one, frame two is amazing, frame three. And I always, I call my teammates, I call Junior and Harvey. I said, now, when I was on top of Danny Ames, I saw birds, I saw the Celtics, but I didn't see one butt player anywhere around. So what's going on with that? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you own your own, buddy. <laughs> In a row, your temper gets short, and Sidney Moncrief took the ball to the basket, and Danny Ainge wrapped him up. Let's watch it. He wraps him up right there, and Sidney comes up swinging. Looked like Sidney may have delivered the first blow in terms of who punched who. Boy, body slammed him, too, and then they go at it. Earl Strom and Daryl Gerritsen are the officials. They'll have to sort this out. All three Boston coaches on the floor, both of the Milwaukee coaches out there. That's all right. You've won. Just, you know, I've been fighting that guy since college to the pros. Dirty player, but you got to love Ames because he was doing I what he had to do for his team. And Ames is still one of my favorite, favorite players. Seriously, because you can't really fault a guy for competing. Exactly. And trying to gain an edge and trying to get in your head. You can't fault him for that. And he did that very well. I like him as a player. I like him as a person. Your thoughts on the NBA today? NBA today is still competitive. It's uh, fun to watch occasionally. <laughs> we talked about that. <laughs> Sometimes I, I'm flipping through the station and I, oh, there's an NBA game. And I start watching it. I'm like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? You know, it's like you don't know, you don't know anyone because you know when I coach, I kept up. I knew the NBA. Uh, I don't like the amount of I don't like anal, I like analytics, 
Because I believe in analytics before they were analytics. I would have people when I coached them, we had people taking notes all the time and taking stats of what was happening with the plays and how many passes you were taking the shot. So analytics is very good. I don't like it when it drives the fundamentals out of the game of basketball, and that's what it has done, especially shooting uh, and some of the things that they do. Why, why not take a layup? We see people drive all the time in the NBA. They have a layup, and Last they, kick it out, they kick it out for, for a 33% shot. And for some guys, 28% shot. So those type things you, you kind of wonder about. The best players are still fun to watch, the Golden States, the Phoenix, the Bucks. Uh, they're they're still fun to watch because they play basketball the right way and they have the talent to play basketball the right way. So it's, today's game is fine. It's going to be okay. It's going to survive. I think. Last question for me, Sid. Uh, three things that you would tell a young student athlete today. Three things I would tell a young student athlete today is build strong relationships with others outside of basketball, within basketball, but outside of basketball. Because sometimes when you're an athlete, you think you're all of that. And we forget that our career will at some point end. And if you hadn't built good relationships with other people, then it's going to be hard for you to make an impact later in life. Mm. So definitely build good relationships with other people. Uh, number two, make sure that you, that you take, pay very close attention to your body and taking care of your body and what you put into your body, what you do with it, just pay very close attention to your body. And number three, I would tell them to make sure that they educate themselves uh, book education, workshops, read as much as possible, find a passion and, and become very proficient. We only have a short window to impact people on the basketball court. Then the rest of our lives, we need to spend impacting people off the court like you're doing and what I'm doing. That's what's more important. People, players come and go, but your impact lasts forever. Sydney, how's your oh. golf game? Well, I had my hip replacement. I gave up golf. I just, okay. I, I was bad anyway. I didn't, <laughs> I guess I could have had an excuse hip replacement for my bad golf. But I, uh, what I do now a little bit too, I hike. Hiking has been very good for me. Uh, you hike, you hike, you guys. That's how I hurt my hips, Sid. I was walking the streets here in the, in, in the neighborhood. I was trying to walk my wife into submission and hurt my hip. <laughs> no, your hip was hurt from all this running and jumping and dunking. <laughs> oh, the grit factor, our company, we have my wife and I, we have a company called Mind Freak One Team. We have a nonprofit called Mind Freak Game Changer. And mostly everything we do, we work with community building, which is team enhancement. We do diverse and inclusion. We do leadership, entrepreneurship, and workplace readiness. And everything that we do is, is grounded in grit. G stands for growth. R is being resilient. I being intentional, intentionality, and T, T is for tenacity. And we like to tell people, you got to have grit. So when we say grit, we're saying you got to grow every day, get better every day, everything you do. Be resilient. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Be intentional. Make plans. Be calculated about what you're doing. And then have tenacity. Be like a little bulldog. Be like a, a Cooper or Sidney Moncrief guarding uh, Magic Johnson or someone. You got to have that tenacity in everything that you do. So that's what grit is all about. There you have it. <laughs> thank Andy you, Andy in the house uh, with a lot of grit, baby. A lot of grit. Sid, thank you so much, man. Stay well and healthy and keep shining like you do, my man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you, man. Good okay. Massachusetts, listen up. The wait is finally over. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is now live 
in Boston. I have so many people that love me in Boston and new customers in Massachusetts can get in on the action with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Boston. Finally, you can bet on all your favorite sports from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. Don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston. 